Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 320. If I act successful, then maybe that'll help me feel successful. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hello, hello. Thanks for being here with me today. We are entering into a motivating new season. In-person shows are opening up again, and the opportunity to present your product and find new customers in this face-to-face format is finally here. I want to remind you that doing events like craft shows and farmers markets offers great photo and posting opportunities for social media. We talked about this in one of our tips and talk episodes in the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And I bring this up because you've told me you're discouraged when you don't see any of the time and effort you put into social media moving the needle on your sales. So given the time we're in right now, Take this as a changing point to do something different. Putting in more time posting in the same way isn't going to magically bring you results. You need to change the way you're posting and what you're posting. You don't need to put in more work. You need to put in the right work. That's when things will change. If you need some help with this, I've got you covered with the Content for Makers program. Content for Makers will enlighten you as to why your social media activities aren't converting into sales. It will also show you how to put less time in and start seeing activity that will increase your sales. Just imagine a day where you know exactly what to post and to get it done in five minutes or less. Then you can spend your time interacting with potential customers, deepening relationships with those you already know, too. And it builds upon itself naturally. Yes, this is possible. Content for Makers includes a step-by-step strategy to formulating your unique plan based on your business and your products. Then you'll have 375 social media prompts over a full year of ideas. Along with the 375 prompts come 375 image suggestions, so you're not left hanging on the creative. These prompts and image suggestions can be used for all platforms and all types of posting. Images, live streaming, reels, even email direction. But that's not all. Posts aren't going to work if the right people aren't seeing them. So you'll also receive a video and a worksheet on how to choose and use hashtags. This is a way to attract the right people who will become your customers. Most people are doing this wrong. There's more to Content for Makers, too. To see all the details, just jump over to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash content for makers. But honestly, at only $27, it's a no-brainer. Why carry on posting as you've been doing all along, expecting different results? Sign up for Content for Makers now and see the transformation of your posting experience change before your very eyes giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash content for makers. Ready and waiting for your immediate access right now. I have something to tell you. 
I had so much trouble deciding on a title for this episode. Don't worry, we're absolutely talking about identifying your profitable product niche. But as we started our chat, Gail shared with me how her first craft show was a total bust. I mean, no sales, zero, like the worst of worst possible fears. And I know many of you can relate to this because either you've had that same thing happen or are putting off shows because you're afraid that you won't get any sales. And it makes my heart stop because I look at Gail and the success that she's having today and I think, what if she threw in the towel after that first show? Or the second because that one was only slightly better. If she had given in to any thoughts that she wasn't cut out for this, she wouldn't be where she is today. So I was tempted to title this episode something about overcoming disappointing show results or something like that. But Gail's message is so much more than that. It's about finding the space in your market that was made for you. The perfect product niche where you can shine and sales come naturally because you have what people want to buy. Because you see, that very first craft show Gail brings up was just a stepping stone to the amazing business she has today. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Gail Zona, the founder of G Jewels. Gail is an artisan specializing in handcrafted personalized gifts. She works mostly with businesses that use gift giving as part of their client retention program. So think of realtors, mortgage brokers, insurance agents, financial advisors, CPAs, and business life coaches. These are her best clients. Gail got started in the gift business at a very young age, 10 to be precise, when she made custom mice finger puppets for a local consignment shop. Fast forward after a career in high tech to 13 years ago when she started making glass and sterling jewelry. That led to personalized jewelry that eventually led to her current gift business. She says that when she left her high-tech executive position four years ago, she didn't look back. And it was a great move because she's having a blast. Gail, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue. It's just a pleasure to be here chatting about the thing I love the best, my company, G-Jewels. So you're right. I did start at a very, very young age. I don't know if you remember the Family Circle magazine, but they had a little article in there about how you could make mice finger puppets. And so you made them out of toilet paper tubes curled up and scraps of felt. Well, I happen to have both. So I made a bunch of them, and then my mother's friend said, oh, so cute. And so she found a woman's consignment shop, and I put them in there. Well, it wasn't long before I was making customized ones. Oh, could you make a nurse? Could you make a teacher? Could you make a cheerleader? And that's basically what I do today, not my finger puppets, but the idea of making personalized gifts for people to make them happy and to make it meaningful for them. It's amazing to me that I started so long ago doing that, but it's still so true today. Well, and you kind of had it in your blood, apparently, from doing something like this at such a young age. That is a wonderful quick rundown of how you got started. And before we go too far along in your journey, I want to jump back and ask you a question that gives us a little bit of a different look inside who you are. And that is by having you describe yourself through a motivational candle. So if you were to share with us what a candle would look like through a color and maybe a quote or a saying that would be on the candle, what would that motivational candle look like for you? 
Sure. So the color would certainly be aqua. That is absolutely one of my favorite colors. And as I learned in my jewelry business, everybody looks good in aqua. So it's a color that I use in my logo even just because I like it so much. Mm -hmm. And on the candle, it would say, proceed as if success is inevitable. That is one of my all-time favorite quotes. And I found it when I was dejected and despondent, bouncing around a Staples store, looking in the clearance section because I didn't have much money. And I found this mug with that saying on it, proceed as if success is inevitable. And I thought, yeah, that's what I should be doing. So I bought the mug, took it home, kept looking at it. And I thought, yeah, who on the outside knows that I'm not successful? I look successful. If I act successful, then maybe that'll help me feel successful. So it was an interesting kind of lesson in stop wallowing in your (laughs) despondency and despair, but just get out there and make it happen. Yeah, because we all do that, don't we? We do. Every entrepreneur is busy worrying about what it looks like and what it feels like. And you need to kind of get through that and just keep doing the stuff you're doing. Keep taking those baby steps. Keep making those mistakes. Keep figuring out what the next thing is, because eventually it'll all work. Absolutely. I've heard several spinoffs of this quote, too. One is, if you couldn't fail, what would you be doing right now? Yeah. Oh, I like that. And it it really makes you think, like, what are your true, I mean, like, seriously, inside your heart desires? Where do you want to go? Honestly, a lot of people don't even think about it. They just think, well, I'd rather have a business on my own than always having to depend on my full-time nine-to-five salary. But they don't really play out the dream, if you will. These questions kind of get you there. Well, that's true. One of the things I've game I play with myself constantly is if I won the lottery, if I had a wrench uncle who left me a bunch of money, whatever the situation is, if I had all the money I needed, what would I do? And I'd still be doing exactly what I'm doing. I wouldn't stop. I love what I'm doing. And I love making people happy. I love the fact that I can give people things that are meaningful. The whole personalization thing is a real phenomenon. It really works to make people feel good. So why wouldn't I do that? Right. Well, it doesn't mean that you're done growing and evolving, right? But it just certainly means that you're successful because you've reached a place where you've wanted to get to and that's fulfilling and energizing and exciting for you to wake up every morning, right? And that's the goal. That's the goal. I keep telling people I play all day. I mean, not really, but I kind of feel like I'm playing all day. Oh, I've talked to you a couple times when you've had a bunch of orders that you've had to get out. (laughs) (laughs) It can get a little tense, yes. But it's good tense. It's what you want, right? Yeah, it's good tense. It's a tense that I welcome and I create. I mean, yeah, I had a very difficult week last week trying to get all my Mother's Day stuff shipped out. And yeah, I mean, it's tense and I'm working late hours, but it's what I want to do. Right. Not like I have a boss telling me I have to stay late and I don't want to. So that's the difference. Right. For sure. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the development of G-Jewels. So you did this on the side for a long time as you were still in your high-tech position. I did. So I started, I've always liked jewelry and I couldn't find jewelry that I wanted to wear that matched my outfit. So I took a class in glass making and lamp working specifically, decided to make my own jewelry. And I was messing around with that. And then I realized I wanted to make things that I wouldn't necessarily wear on my own because I have a certain style, but I wanted to try different things. So friends and family, oh, you should make this to sell. Like, okay, fine, whatever. So I started doing that. And then of course I started the whole craft show circuit learned how to do that, got an opportunity to do some personalized jewelry and realized what a big deal that was. So my hair stylist had two daughters who were cheerleaders and they needed a banquet gift, if you're familiar with that whole scene. 
And so I did that in their school colors and with their school mascot. It was a tiger, and I did a little tiger paw and put IHS Ipswich High School on it. Oh, my God, you thought I had made something out of nothing. So this is a thing, I said, and started doing personalized jewelry for schools and teams. And you know, I was working on that, but then about that time is when I was looking at what I'd do after I left high tech. I said, I really need something that's going to scale because I'd like to actually make a real business out of this. So looking around, I couldn't really make the jewelry thing scale. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you do corporate gifts? I said, I make jewelry. What do you mean corporate gifts? That's kind of a big leap. Well, the charms led to wine charms, okay, and that led to a wine stopper. And I'm still doing the glass. No, I do because I was making glass beads. So the handle of the wine stopper were the glass beads. And then that led to, well, I can also make a glass-handled fork and knife like you would for a cheese board. My husband says, well, I can make a cheese board for you. Okay, so now we're making cheese boards. Well, it just led to one thing after another. Here I am in the gift business. The funny thing is, as I think back to my executive career, I was in the high tech. And so when we finished a big software project, we do ship parties, right? We'd ship the software. I was busy doing personalized gifts back then for my whole team. And so the whole personalized gift thing, I think, just came naturally because I've been doing it for years. So a good portion of people that I'll talk to will say, yeah, I don't really want to tell my friends and family what I'm doing yet. I'd rather tell them about it when it's on the road and it's being successful, right? And I try to stop people from thinking that way because if you don't include your friends and family as you're developing your business, you're missing a huge opportunity, number one, to make some initial income from people who will support you. Also, people who will be sympathetic if there are glitches in your system, like online sales processes or even in the product overall as you're developing and growing. And you had mentioned way in the beginning when you started making your jewelry that you were selling to friends and family. What was your thinking there and how did you start talking about it with them? It's been a while, but I probably started talking to them just because I'm excited about learning how to make glass. That was just super cool. And I got whopping encouragement from everybody. Oh, glass, you make glass? What does that even mean? And so just through naturally discussing that... So just generally sharing what you were up to. You weren't selling products to them. You were just saying, I'm experimenting, you know, I'm doing something fun on the side. I'm learning how to make things out of glass, right? Right. And then I would show them either pictures or show them in person the stuff I was making. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you get to that natural point where, oh, could you make one of those for me? Sure. And so I made one for friends, for this family member, et cetera. And so it wasn't a very big leap when they said, well, you should do this to sell, because I'd already had initial success with friends and family, and they're hugely supportive. Mm -hmm. You get worried as an artist, I'm going to make something, will anybody like it, right? I mean, I'll have to say the very first craft show I went to, I sold nothing. (laughs) Let's talk about that, though. I think that's important because I call this validating your product, because you could make something that's beautiful and fun and cute, and people love looking at it, but they would never buy it. That's the hard truth. So you need to validate that your product can sell before you go so far as starting to build a business around it. You don't want to find out later. You want to find out right in the beginning. Well, exactly. Luckily, I have my husband with me throughout that whole craft show journey. So let's go to your first show. My very first show. Talk us through the story. (laughs) I plucked out my 250 bucks. It was in my hometown. It was out on the street. It was Spring Festival over Memorial Day. 
I prepped like a mad woman. I had all this stuff. I had a collection because, of course, I'm doing jewelry. I can't have one a collection that speaks to the fact that I'm an artist. The whole bit, right? I had collateral cards made. Yeah, I went all in. Had it bought a tent. It's sounding good so far, Gail. Right, and you know, it was wearable art. Oh, is that cool? So I had little frames. I had my jewelry kind of taped to the frames, like it was wearable art. Okay, I sold nothing. Now, why was that? And this goes to one of the things that I learned to do. I mean, you do the show, you record the results, you analyze it, you figure out what worked, what didn't, and move on and do the next one. I mean, you really have to get into that mindset. But I did the show, and what I figured out was first, people wanted, because I took lots of notes, and you know, I talked about it with my husband, people wanted jewelry. They didn't want beads. Oh, that's interesting. I was selling beads, but they wanted full jewelry pieces. Oh, so you were selling loose beads, not finished product. Right. I was selling beads that were ready to hang on a pendant on a chain, but I didn't supply the chain. And so how did you find out that that's what they were wanting? Were you talking with them? Sure. You're just talking with people. Perfect. Okay. Do you have chains? No. (laughs) That was my first clue. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) So, okay, people want chains. Then the other thing I found, because I had them all fixed to the frames. People want to pick up jewelry at a craft show. They want to pick it up. Touching is a big deal. So that I learned. All right, next time you need to have a different display. My price points were wrong. Some were too high, some were too low. And what I found over time was that you need a range of price points. People aren't going to buy the highest thing, most likely. They might buy the lowest, but you know they're going to buy in that sweet spot, but you've got to have it priced so that, I mean, this is all merchandising, right? But you've got to have something priced in the middle. They feel more comfortable buying at that point, unless they know you. Yeah. And the other thing that you always want to do, I have to bring this in because we had a podcast just a little while ago talking about the mindset of purchasing. And part of this was priming your price still at a show you always want higher price things than maybe even you think anyone will buy because then it makes your medium priced things not the top tier anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So you were already doing that, it sounds like. Uh, no, no. I learned that over time. That first show, yeah, it was all priced the same. Duh. So I, I learned that over time. And so what I ended up doing then was I bumped up my collection prices to be very high priced. And people would look at that and I sold them every once in a while. But it was more just, wow, she can do that. I can't afford that, but I'll go buy this medium price thing because the same person made it, right? That kind of thing. Would you say that offering some of those higher price, and you're not bumping up the price because it's not of that quality, like you still are being genuine as to what the prices should be, but you're just creating something that is more expensive, you know, whatever. But I think it also positions you at a different level as an artisan when you have higher priced things as well. So even if someone buys something a little less expensive, it's that psychological feeling that the specialist of that artisan is higher. Exactly. So it was a friend who kind of turned me on to that because she said, you know, you should have some less expensive thing scale. So people who can't afford the higher price things, but they still like what you do, can feel like they have a little part of your art when they buy the lower price. Thought, oh, okay, that makes some sense. You know, at first I resisted, it, I'll have to say, well, I don't want to sell things for cheap. But that wasn't the point. The point was that people have different price points that they're willing to part with money for. And you need to see if you can acknowledge those price points in your product line. I mean, that's really all that was. And so I learned how to do that. Yeah. And I would also say, especially at a craft show too, 
sometimes people are meeting you for the first time. So yeah. they're not necessarily willing to invest in a higher priced piece yet. They want something kind of entry level, if you will. Yes, I would agree. And then, you know, if you collect their name and treat them as a customer and over time, they might get to the point where they'd like to buy something more expensive from you. So, yeah, I learned a little bit of that. But that first craft show, oh, my God. (laughs) All right. So this is important. And can I tell you how happy I am we're going to be able to be at more regular, I guess I want to say, normal face-to-face shows again (laughs) soon? I hesitate a little in saying that, but it's coming. Like, I see all the shows coming. Even some of the trade shows are coming back. I mean, we'll probably still be social distancing and things like that. I get it. But this is such valuable conversation, Gail, because I talk with people a lot about doing the shows for exactly what you're saying. Even if you don't sell, you're getting so much feedback that then will help you be better later. But for your experience, what got you to doing the second one? Because you did the first one, you put down $250, and this was a while ago. This is quite a while ago, yeah. 250 is kind of standard or on the sometimes lower end for some of the shows right now. But that was a lot of money and you came out with nothing, not to mention the work of getting your booth set up. Well, the work and I had to buy the tent and the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, but so what did you say to yourself about this and how did you encourage yourself to do it again? So, yeah, I complained to my husband a lot. That was first thing. (laughs) He was quite supportive. But I think it was more of a, I already had made sales to friends and families. And I already had a lot of people who liked what I did. So that wasn't the problem I concluded. It must be the way that I was trying to sell it. And the price points. I mean, there were so many things that I really didn't get right that first time. And I could tell just by the questions that people would ask me or the comments that they would make. So even the second show, I didn't do all that much better, but you know, it took a little while. And I learned over time how to make a very nice looking craft booth. And in fact, I went from having, say, $2,000 inventory for my craft booth, you know, 10 by 10 booth, to having $11,000 at retail worth of inventory. Because then I had different lines of things. And I had all sorts of price points. I had charity jewelry. I started learning that I had to, for jewelry, I did best if I organized by color, because remember, I'm making glass, so everything's about the color. So I had a section for people who like blue, a section for people who like pink. That made a whopping difference. All these things over time, that each time I did a show, I wrote stuff down. I mean, this is another interesting thing I would tell people. Every single craft show I've done, I have all the sheets. I wrote down the sale, and I tried to write down a little bit about the person who bought the stuff, if I had time. And what I learned early on was that single women tended to buy gifts, women who were showing up by themselves, I should say it that way, not their marital status, but women who were shopping by themselves would buy things for other people. And they wanted to spend at the time 50 to $75 if they're buying gift for someone else. I said, well, that's interesting. So I started to create a line of jewelry specifically for that purpose. And that became my middle tier line. And it was very, very successful. In fact, that was the original G-Jewels, was my middle tier line of jewelry. And because that was so successful, I decided to name my entire company G-Jewels after that because that had a sweet spot in my heart. I love the name. It's perfect. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) So how long were you on the craft show circuit? So I did that. I started in 08 and I did that until 13. So I guess about four years. And then the whole personalized jewelry thing took over and I slowly phased out of the craft show. I mean, I probably did the one of a kind jewelry for another couple of years, but then I went exclusively to the personalized jewelry. And that was like 13 to say 18. 
And the gift business is relatively new. I only started that back in the fall of 2018 and was going gangbusters through 19 until the pandemic last year. That made me pivot. And that was an interesting pivot. I mean, you know, if you talk about what was like the worst thing that happened to you, I had four in-person events cancel on me that Friday after the NBA shut down. Four. (sighs) That was basically the first half of my year. Okay, well, I decided to go ahead and move my studio, which I had planned anyway, over the summer thinking, well, what else am I going to be doing? But then I hate that stupid word pivot, but that's what I did. And I learned that I actually could be very successful selling over Zoom calls one-on-one to my realtors, mortgage brokers, et cetera, because I could have all my samples here. And, you know, we could have a nice one-on-one conversation. It wasn't a nasty Zoom call with all the postage stamp heads. It was a nice Zoom call where we could develop a little bit of a relationship. And as I thought about it, I said, wow, this is really working. This is what I should be doing, at least for now. I mean, this is giving me repeat business. I mean, these are clients who will order many things over time, not just a one and done kind of a sale. I want to build up to that point. First, I think what would help serve people who are listening to us chatting is share with everybody the products that you're creating now. Yeah, so I went from making the glass and sterling silver jewelry to what I'm doing now. I still make the glass, but now it's limited to glass-handled forks and knives serving pieces. So that's really the only place that the glass shows up, and then some wine charms that I do. So right now I'm doing, I have a variety of cutting boards, different sizes from small little 4-inch by 8-inch cutting board, a cocktail board I call it, all the way up to a huge oval cutting board with handles that's 15 by 11, which is a big spectacular kind of a cutting board. But sweet spot, though, is the cheese board I sell, which is about five by eight. That has a glass-handled serving knife that comes with it. The nice thing is that I have a laser engraver, so I'll personalize that on the front for the client. And then on the back, I personalize it for the professional, so for the realtor, broker, insurance agent, whoever. So the client gets a personalized gift for themselves, which, of course, goes over huge because it has their own name or street address or whatever on it. And then the professional gets a gift that can now be classified as a marketing expense because it has their professional information on it. So it's been a big win-win. Right. So, And it plays right into the popularity right now of charcuterie boards, too. Right. I mean, so you're combining your product with a very popular cultural item right now. I don't know if I'd call it cultural, but current entertainment popular item, <laughs> however you want to say that. That's beautiful. But it's all customizable, however you want to do it. So logos, words, graphics, all different types of things. Even colors of the boards. I use exotic hardwoods. So there's all sorts of different reds, purples, golds, and everything else in there. And people can customize the boards too. So cutting boards in general are having a moment right now. I mean, people love wood. I mean, that there's something about it that's more popular now than it was, say, 10 years ago. I love what you say. They're having a moment <laughs> right now. <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to last, but I'm cashing in. I'll have to tell you that. So For sure. And I think that's an interesting point, too, is if there's something going on that seems to be trending and it in any way can attach to something that you're making, jump on board. Ride the moment with it. And 10 years from now, maybe it won't be the case, but it is right now or five years from now. Who knows? But ride the trend while you can, for sure. Definitely. I mean, two years ago, no one would have been buying masks. And look at what happened. (laughs) Hopefully a year from now, we won't be anymore either. So we go with that. But so still before the pandemic hit and you had to restructure how you were working with people, where were you going to share your product with people like the realtors and financial advisors, et cetera? How were you initially getting in front of them 
before you had to go to Zoom. Right. That was networking, networking events. Okay. Talk to us about that. Yeah. The BNIs, the, the various networking groups that you can do locally. And so I had joined some of those and I was starting to show up at those events. Although the interesting thing is a lot of them were evening events, which I detest. I hate evening networking events. So I wasn't really looking forward to doing that. I tried a bunch of other things because I just detest that evening networking so much. So I was doing Facebook ads, all sorts of things to build that up, hoping to try to reach people in a different way. But the Zoom things worked for me just because I didn't have to pack all the, I mean, I've got cutting boards that are kind of heavy. So to pack all that stuff up and to try to show up at a coffee shop with somebody was not fun. I mean, I was starting to do it, but I was like, "Eh, I hope there's a better way I can figure out how to do this. So initially you were doing networking events where people got to know who you were, what you do, and you are absolutely right. I mean, the types of people that you're looking at are the very people who would be going to these networking events because that's how they're getting business too. Right. So you intercepted them. You like walked right in front of their path (laughs) to find them, right? So that's just getting to know people, like starting relationships. You're not going and selling immediately. You're just starting to build a relationship. And then were you getting on the Zoom calls where you could have all your product behind you and you could talk about what their specific orders could look like? Right. So what I would do is as I was meeting these people in these networking groups, the other cool thing I took advantage of was the virtual background in Zoom. And so I could put pictures (laughs) of my stuff behind Mm me, Mm -hmm. which figured that out pretty darn fast. Oh, this is great. Well, of course, now you're in breakout sessions and people are like, what's behind you? What do you do? there we go. There's a lead in question that I need. So that was working pretty well. And then I'd either get people, hey, let's do a one-on-one or I get their information in the chat and reach out to them later and say, hey, did you see the thing behind me? Yeah, are you interested in finding out a little bit more, et cetera. So that's been pretty easy, actually. So is that what sustained you all of the past year? And that's what's propelling me forward at breakneck pace right now. Yes. Wow. Well, yeah, I know you kind of teased me before I pressed record that you have some things to share with us about <laughs> what's going to happen in the future. So I'm really excited about that. But for this last year, when obviously networking events were non-existent in person, existent on Zoom, but I know on my side, a lot of people just bagged the Zoom networking events. It's kind of like people took a little bit of a hiatus. Did you see that attendance was lower than what you would have normally gotten with your networking events? Perhaps, but at the beginning. But what I found is that people have learned how to do them, they've embraced them, and they realize that if they want to get in front of people, they're going to have to do that. The other thing that's Mm -hmm. happening, which I think is very positive, is there are virtual things springing up now. There are virtual networking groups where no one will ever see each other because people are all over this. I live in Massachusetts. There's a virtual one that I'm in that's, that's the state of Massachusetts. Okay, we're not a very big state, but still people don't want to drive an hour to go meet people. So this is a group that formed during the pandemic, and we will continue to be virtual. I'm in another group, a women's networking group that has chapters all over the Women's Business League. I'll put a word in for them because they're a very good group to join. has chapters all over the country. They started a couple of years ago. They're growing like crazy. They have started a virtual group with the idea that these people will never meet in person, but there's no reason with Zoom why you can't have a virtual networking group. So just like the virtual craft events, I mean, there's some stuff that's happening that I think is definitely for the better, because why spend all that time driving around when you can get on a Zoom call and see people? Absolutely. Yeah. And let's go ahead and roll with that since you brought it up, because that's how our paths crossed was with the at-home craft and gift show. So the Zoom meetings just for networking and developing relationships and then taking conversations further 
you saw were really great over Zoom. And now also you've been a craft show professional now for quite a while. You have a lot of experience with that. And now we've done some online things. So can you share with us a little bit of your experience with that? Right after this quick break, we'll hear what Gail has to say about virtual shows, specifically the at-home craft and gift show. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How, you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Yeah, that's interesting. It very much appeals to me because all my stuff is made to order. I mean, I'm doing personalized things. So if seldom order anything for me that I haven't personalized for you in some way. So for me, that was perfect because I can't really do craft shows anymore because I don't have my laser engraver on site there. Right. So for me, I thought, oh, this is perfect to do a virtual craft show because people can see the stuff. They can see lots of different pictures and examples. And then they can order and it'll take a week or two to get it, but perfect timing. So I've been very excited about participating in those and and finding out more events. Plus, there's no reason in the world why I can't participate in an event and sell something. I'm in Massachusetts, sell something to someone in California. So what? I just ship it. No big deal. So for me, it was a very interesting opportunity. I'd love to see those things get bigger and bigger and bigger. The odd part, though, coming out of a craft show background is you can't see people unless they kind of sign into your booth. So that's been kind of odd. I mean, yes, if you're at a craft show, sometimes people pass by your booth and not come in, right? You can see them looking, but you can see what they look at. You can also see who they are. You can perhaps engage them visually and maybe get them to come in. You know, you've got these people who hang out and kind of look in, but don't want to engage. But a lot of times you learn how to engage them, but you get a sense of who's at the show. You can't do that yet with a virtual craft show. So that's been a little odd. You don't have a sense of whether there's lots of people, whether they're looking at your stuff and making faces and walking by, <laughs> like you see at some real craft show. Right. So, you can't do that kind of behind the scenes observation, yeah. if you will, or which products that they're naturally going to look at in your booth. Yeah. At the at-home show, we did have the ability to talk one-on-one with the artisans. We did. And I think that's a little different with the at-home show than other craft shows that I've been seeing. Did you have a lot of people pop on and talk with you and use that functionality? I had a few. They tended to be younger, which is interesting. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. They tended to be younger people. They'd pop in and it was clear they're at home in their pajama type of thing. They were comfortable at home. They're eating and drinking. It's kind of funny. My way to roll. (laughs) (laughs) They're clearly comfortable, which is good. Yeah, we had that. And then I had people that bought stuff that never popped in, which I thought was odd too. But part of it's just learning. I mean, when I first started doing craft shows, I didn't know how to do those either. So a little bit of this is learning what works. I would say it's also learning on both ends because not many craft shows have that face-to-face function. And so when it is there, people are still learning how to use it. And I think as these shows continue to go, especially the at-home shows, because we're seeing people who went to the holiday one Some came to the spring one. A lot will come back to the next holiday one. 
they'll now know because they'll have had the experience from before. But I got to tell you, like, I think, honestly, for me, unless I have my makeup on, probably, and certainly not if I'm in my jammies, like, I want to go in and just look around myself, too. Oh, sure. Sometimes I'd be interested in popping in and sometimes maybe not. So being able to do one or the other is good. And now we have where you can just talk but not show your face, too. That I like because then I had a bunch of people do that or they'd sign into the chat and do things. But from a technology perspective, because remember, that is my background, there ought to be a way where you can watch people's mouse and at least figure out what part of the screen they're engaging in so you might get a sense of what products they're looking at mm, because, yeah. and whether they're scrolling. Because I just something that – so I prepared the whole screen. Here are the products. Here are the pictures. If people are glossing over one or more of them, then you at least get a sense, you know, I didn't display that correctly, which is what you learn when you're at a real craft show. So we need some technology. Some deeper level analysis, yeah. So we can get a better sense of what's attracting people mm-hmm. because that's what's missing to me. That's really good feedback. But it sounds like you're a thumbs up for virtual shows. I am. Think about it from this perspective. I didn't have to make a whole bunch of inventory. I didn't have to schlep it somewhere. I didn't have to set up a stupid tent. Yeah, because your pieces are heavy, too. They are heavy. And it doesn't even matter what it was, even with jewelry. I mean, I had stuff all pre-staged on boards, but I still had to schlep it somewhere. Right. I didn't have to take a whole bunch of packaging with me. I mean, all the stuff that you have to do. And plus, I could reach people that were far away from me. I did make sales to California. Yeah, that would never happen otherwise. To me, that's huge. Yeah, you haven't heard me maybe talking about this, but I don't look at virtual shows as just a craft show online. I look at it as a completely separate opportunity to be selling because just like you were talking about the value of that face-to-face and maybe just even observing from a distance or what they pick up or the interaction that you have when you really are in person, that's one thing. And then there's also value to these virtual shows like you're talking about national audiences, people coming in 24-7 maybe when you're not even there so the shows can be a little longer. And I just look at these as not one is a subset of another, but two entirely different types of selling opportunities. Yeah, it's an additional channel. Because the other thing, you think about craft shows. So like we talked about earlier, people may not want to spend big money on something where they see it just once. But at a virtual craft show, you've got the in-person live portion of it, but then the site or the show stays up for a few days. Well, that gives you a chance to think about it, go talk with a friend, go find out if your friend would like that cool thing that you saw in the craft show. Go talk to your husband. Hey, honey, I'd really like that. Can you get it for me? All that stuff that you can't do with a craft show that's there for like one day. And even if the craft show is there for a weekend, do you really want to physically go back there? Probably not. So, I mean, that's what makes it so easy. Yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons to both, right? Because a craft show is like going to a retail shop. You see it, you get it, you leave. And the value of being able to touch it, like you were talking about before. To touch it, yeah. I don't know the exact number, but research verifies that if you can get your product into somebody's hand, the likeliness that they'll buy is so much greater. Oh, it has to be, yeah. Trying things on, just handing it to somebody in, I don't think it'll be this summer, but like samples that you could do if you had a consumable product, all of those types of things. So two thumbs up for virtual shows, in-person shows, all of that. Let's talk some more about your corporate retention programs. What's the language that you use with people for them to really understand the value of putting a program like this in place? 
I usually tell people that my gifts are three things. One, they are meaningful. It's not just some something from Amazon. It's something that's custom crafted for an individual or for a family. So it's got something about them on it. Their initials, a picture of their dog, their street address, something that speaks specifically to them. So there's the meaningful part. The gifts are practical. There's stuff that people will use every day. I'm a big believer in that. I didn't go into fine art when I initially started doing artsy stuff because I like stuff that people use. That's why I went into jewelry because people use it, they wear it. So I like stuff that, that people are actually using every day because then they get more out of it. And the third thing is that it's memorable. So that speaks to the fact that the professional's information is either on the back or the bottom in a discrete location, in a discrete size, so it doesn't scream sales, but it's still there. And so it keeps the professional top of mind. And that usually plays very well into most people's idea of what they should be doing as a retention gift. Yeah, I like that a lot. I just had someone else on another podcast and we were talking about where you should be putting your logo for promotional items and when you should be leaving it off, you know. Don't send a Christmas present to somebody with your business logo all over it. It's funny you say this. I've got a good story about this. So I find that men want to put their logo large on the front. Women tend to take my advice and put it discreetly on the back or the side or the bottom or something. So I had this financial advisor order charcuterie boards, which are not cheap gifts for all his clients last Christmas. And so we were mocking up various ways to display the personalized piece and his professional information. And I did it on the back in a couple of different ways. He said, could you show me what it looked like on the front? So I mocked that up. I thought, oh, don't do this. I shot him the picture. Oh, I really like it there. I thought, oh my God, these people are not going to use this. They are not going to use this gift with your professional stuff all over the front. But I couldn't dissuade him. I tried to be tactful. So I made the gifts. I never heard back from him. I don't know if people liked him or didn't, but I just showed it to my husband. He says, no one's going to use that. Just, ah. Uh. But yes, the whole point is that, and I try to help my clients with this. How much do I put on things? Like I sell mugs that I've engraved with the personal information on the side. But because they're clear glass mugs, I can engrave anything on the bottom because I have a nice big wide flat circle to do it on. And so, oh, people want to put all sorts of stuff on the bottom. I said, well, put something that somebody doesn't mind looking at every day. So, for example, if you want to say thank you to a client, say something like, thank you, Gail, or put your name on there. Just they're reminded of you. But I'd say even better, say something about them. Thank you for being so thoughtful. Thank you for being so easy to work with. Say something like that. That makes them feel good every time they take a drink. And then they're reminded of you. Yeah. And it makes them want to use it and maybe even use it when they have a friend over because it's a nice message that you're giving back to them, that you're reflecting back on them. Oh, that's frustrating about that one gentleman, though. <laughs> it's got to be so hard. <laughs> I thought, he's spending all this money. Oh, my God, don't do it. You tried. He's the client. Yeah. You know, my husband and I, talk about this frequently because he's like, I'm not buying a sweatshirt with someone else's big, huge logo. All I am is a big advertising board for them. <laughs> like the most he'll do is like up in the little corner of your chest, you know, and how you can have that little logo. But some people, you know, if you support a cause or a business that you feel very bonded with, then you want to do that because that represents what you are and who you are and what your beliefs are and all that. But it's different having a wine glass with a realtor's logo on it. Well, right. And so what I do is, so for that, I can put the realtor's logo on the bottom of the stemless wine glass, which is, I've been doing that a lot. But I counsel people, don't put anything besides your logo on there. I mean, people are okay looking at a graphic. 
But you start putting phone numbers on there, no. Right. Good point. And it's not front and center in your face either. It's on the bottom. So I like that. I like that a lot. I've never thought of that. And I never thought of what you're talking about on the back of your boards either, maybe a little bit in the corner, because people can see it if they want to, but it's not like right out there glaring at you. It's like strobe lights you know, glaring at you. That's the thing. And then it becomes this big salesy thing. Right. Because what's happening with my boards, I can't say I plan this, but I found it out from clients, is the boards are, especially the smaller ones, are of a size and they're so pretty and that people leave them out on their islands or on their counters. And so they're there all the time. Well, now friends come over. Hey, that's cool. Where'd you get that? They flip the thing over. It's got the professional's info on it. There's the conversation that you want to have happen. So that's what's happening, which is fabulous. Ooh. Is this your insights that you've been learning over the last couple of weeks? Yes. Okay. So talk some more about that. So you have put the board, as we were talking about you getting on Zoom and walking down the internet channel with exactly who your clients are, right? You're then now also putting your product in potential new clients' pathways through existing clients. Well, right. The other thing that's happening is, so with each product, because now I'm making things for other clients. And so I'm basically, the software term is OEM. I don't have any of my logos or any of my information on that product that I make, right? It's got my client's information on there. Right. What I've been doing is put a little card in the box that says, okay, by the way, real people made this as a picture of my husband and me. And hey, we make this stuff together and we make lots of other cool stuff Go on our website. Here's a coupon for money off, et cetera. You know, the little bio card, I call it. Well, now I'm finally starting. I've got enough stuff out there. I'm finally starting to get some gifts back from that. So it's like a double whammy, right? So this person gets a gift from their mortgage broker and they like it so much that they reach out to me and order something for a friend. So that's been pretty cool. I mean, I've started to get that happening now, which I really like. That's exciting. And you were saying you call this OAM? Originally equipment manufacturer. So that there's a concept in the software world where it's you're white labeling it. You're putting mm-hmm. somebody else's brand on something that you make because it's going out as part of something they do. Right. But then you're including your information in there right. also, which, yeah, I mean... And you're sharing who it is that you personally made these products. It also helps, heaven forbid, there was something that they questioned about the product. Like, I know your product, so I know the quality that you provide and all of that. But if something happened, then they know who to talk to. Exactly. And then with the added benefit that then they can order some more for themselves. They have started, which has been pretty cool. The first one of those I got back was, I mean, I've been doing this for a couple of years, but the first one I got back was maybe a month ago. And I was like, woohoo, it worked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And only more to come. Only more to come, yeah. Very, very exciting. How are you feeling about, as you move forward, your product line? Are there any other things, ideas swirling around that can enhance what you're already offering? Well, yeah, and I get ideas from my clients all the time, too. The large cutting board idea came from one of my clients. Although that speaks back to what we were talking about before. You need to have a higher end item. That's why I recently made this oval cutting board, which is fairly expensive, but just a wow factor. Everybody looks at, oh my God, that's so cool. I can't afford that. But here, I'll buy this other thing. But yeah, I expanded into, I do a lot of coasters, cork and slate coasters. I expanded into glasses. Now this was interesting. This is one of these, listen to your customers. Because at first I said, there's no value add to me making glasses. Any idiot with a laser engraver, sorry for those of you who have laser engravers, but anyone with a laser engraver can buy glasses and engrave on them. It it takes, there's just nothing special about it. But what I found was everybody wants like two glasses. There are one. And if you go to the big online personalization places, it's hard to get that. You have to buy more. So 
part of what I offer is the whole design service. I mean, you don't need to give me artwork. I'll create it. You tell me what you'd like. So I found that that's a huge deal. And when I started offering first wine glasses and rocks glasses and now glass coffee mugs, that's just been huge. People like to combine that with the coasters for a nice gift, and it works extremely well. So that was a client idea. Yeah, I didn't come up with that, but a client says, hey, do you do glass coffee mugs? Hmm, I guess I could. Well, and they extend because there are other things that you do that are not as easy as just etching on the glass, right? Like your wooden boards. Yeah, the wooden boards, they take a while. I mean, and we source the wood from a local place, but my husband has to cut the slats and surface the boards and the whole nine yards. We glue them together, we plane them, we finish them and sand them. And yeah, they take a while, but yeah, they're the prettiest thing we make and people love them and they respond to them a lot. But a lot of times mm-hmm. they'll like to include, like for we do a lot of wedding gifts. They'll take a board and then include like glasses or coasters or something else with that because people want to give, you know, a very nice wedding gift. So they'll kind of fill it out with that. Right. So you're enhancing your sale of the boards because people are now buying the boards and then also the wine glasses. Right. The wine glasses, the rocks glasses. Yeah, exactly. And those really cool charms that you have for your wine glasses. (laughs) That was another customer request. Can you make wine charms for stemless glasses? Because mm-hmm. no one buys stemmed glasses anymore. Well, and these wine charms aren't wine charms like you would normally think. They're magnets. And so I said, well, somebody must be doing wine charms for stemless glasses. And then, you know, I researched that. Oh, yeah, they're all making magnets. Well, I can do a magnet. And because I do the, the glass, I make the glass myself and then I attach it to a magnet you know, glue it to a magnet. And now it sticks onto your glass no matter what, which is, I mean, you could use them for stemmed glasses too. But it was a way to, because if my client asked me to do it, she really likes the glass that I make. So she says, I want to do something with the glass and I want to give them wine glasses because every year we go back and give gifts to her same clients. So every year I have to come up with something new that fits with what we've been doing, which has been interesting. I mean, it, the third year was when we came up with this past year, the wine glasses on charms. And I have to figure out now what I'm going to do next year for it. But it's been kind of fun because it's a way to kind of make a line of products that that work together. Yeah, and she is then giving her clients this set that keeps being built upon year over year. Yes, right. Exactly. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah, that's been pretty cool. So it forces me to get very creative about kind of how we can add stuff to the line. So what's coming up lately, I've got a customer who's a boat owner. And so he wants a bunch of nautical stuff. So I came up with a little cutting board, small one that can go on a boat with a little paring knife. And it's in kind of nautical design with the signal flag, spelling out the name of the boat, that kind of things. I don't like plastic, but I'm going to add acrylic glasses because the boat owners are going to want them. And so that'll be a set that you can get with the nautical flag spelling out the name of your boat and then some acrylic glasses with the name of your boat on them. Boat owners love that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's the next thing. Yeah. And with acrylic, I mean, that's a need that you would have. Right. I mean, that's a legitimate thing. I don't do the Yeti mugs. I don't do kind of the typical thing because I want to do something that's just different. I mean, people like the things they make because they're different. Absolutely love it. So talk to me a little bit about how you're planning out the rest of your year. Holiday is going to be starting. Just share with us a little bit of how you're going to ensure that those sales are going to keep coming in for the holiday. Yeah, this is interesting. I think I mentioned to you earlier that I've had a couple of epiphanies over the last few weeks. So you all know now that I started out making jewelry. So I had two requests over the last month, one to make some one-of-a-kind jewelry, another was to make some of my personalized jewelry. And I honored both requests, but I thought, I don't really want to do this anymore. This is not my sweet spot. It's not who I am. So I took down the jewelry section of my website. It was a little heartbreaking, but I said, this is just not what I'm doing. Well, that was a little bit uplifting and empowering because all of a sudden I don't have to focus on that anymore. In fact, I'm busy redesigning my studio to move the jewelry making piece out so I can make room for some other new things I want to try. 
like fused glass, fused and slumped glass. That's where I really want to be, but I didn't have any space. Well, if I take the jewelry part out, I can do the fused and slumped glass. So that was kind of exciting. The other epiphany I had, I went to an actual face-to-face pop-up market last Saturday. First one I've done in, what, a year and a half now. And I realized, and of course, I don't have many things that are kind of cash and carry anymore. But I made a few things in hopes for Mother's Day. Well, I made one sale. And I thought, you know what? I don't do this anymore. I am a B2B customized gift person. That's what I do. That's where I've been hugely successful in the last eight months. And that's what I'm doing. So no more craft shows. I mean, I'll do the virtual ones because that's different. That's made to order. But it was just kind of interesting, too, that I took the two things I've been doing for ages and said, I'm not doing those anymore. So the other thing I had to kind of work through, I have probably $11,000, $12,000 worth of inventory that I use for my personalized jewelry. I was selling a lot to schools and teams. I'm going to take all of that and go back to those coaches that I've worked with over the past few years and just donate the stuff I have to them here. Use this for gifts, for prizes, for raffles, for fundraising, guys. Thank you for all your help and support over the years. That made me feel good, too. Like, I'm done, and this is a good way to end it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what you're showing here, I mean, it's got to be scary a little bit. You're giving up something that you had your heart all into for so long. Right, and I made good money with it. (laughs) Okay, well, then there's that, right? But now look at how you can really focus your attention It's corporate business. You know the different segments of the business where you've seen success. There's so much more opportunity out there for you like that. And it doesn't mean that you're not still creating other lines. You were just talking about other things that you're doing, but you're doing it within the umbrella that you've now bracketed for yourself. Right. I think the thing that comes out of that, that the point I wanted to make with that is that you can get stretched too thin very easily. And if you find something that's working, then focusing on that is not a bad thing. And letting go of things that got you to that point is also not a bad thing. You don't have to keep something going forever. And I think that, to me, is the empowering piece. I can look at where I came from, and I can look at how one thing led to another. But I think that going forward, the place where I'm going to be the most successful, and the place where I'm actually having a lot of fun, because, of course, you know, as creative types like to branch out and do different things, That's where I want to focus my efforts and my creative energies. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the challenge, probably not for you because you're very strategic in your thinking and what you're doing, but the challenge could be for someone else in a situation like this is someone coming back and saying, oh, you used to make those. Could you just make me another one? Like as a personal favor, could you just make this one more time for me or something like that? And then you get project creep because then you have to pull out all your equipment again, et cetera. So you have to, once you make a decision like that, stick with it and not go backwards because it could be so easily to go backwards. That's the thing. I mean, I debated about whether to keep all this jewelry that I had because I have all this personalized jewelry I had set so I could go to a show and I'd have pieces that I could easily assemble to create the personalized thing. That's how I designed it. So I could keep that. And then if people asked me for it, I'd have it. But I thought it's just going to sit there. And I'm not Mm -hmm. going to get that many requests. And wouldn't it be so much better for me to donate? And then the other thing is I can't go back, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a... Oh, you've put a roadblock in your way now. Yeah, which (laughs) I think is... I'm doing that a little bit deliberately. I can't go back, which... Because you're right, I'll get sucked into stuff. It's not that it couldn't be profitable, but it's not where I'm going. And I don't think it's my future. Right. Well, and you're dividing your attention then too. This way you can be all in on the vision that you have moving forward. 
This has been absolutely a fabulous conversation. I already knew it was going to be, Gail. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of fun. Yes, this has been really wonderful. We've touched on some really, really important points here. Where could people go see G Jewels and all your products that you have? So I have a website, www.gjewels.com. So it's G as in Gail, Jewels, J-O-O-L-Z. It comes from the fact that I used to make jewelry, right? So gjewels.com. But if you want to see what's really happening, I'm all over Instagram. My handle is gjewels, and I'm also on Facebook. But I post on Instagram many, many times a week, and you can see all the stuff that's happening. There's lots and lots of of interesting stuff that we haven't even touched on here. So I'm happy to connect on, on Instagram. Perfect. And I will have all of that linked up in the show notes. So easy reference, just jump over to Gift Biz Unwrapped, find this show, and you'll see all the links right there, ready and waiting for you. Gail, thank you so, so much for coming on today. It's always fun to talk to you and having you share with everybody here a little behind the scenes of what's going on with your business has been so enlightening. I really, really appreciate you spending time with me today. Well, thank you, Sue. It has been a blast. Watching for the signs and interpreting what they mean for your next move. A very powerful message indeed. This is something you should be doing constantly whether it's market trends, customer feedback, or that knowing gut feeling that you're out of alignment with your purpose. Pay attention to the signs. This is a reminder that I am taking to heart too. I'm hearing it loud and clear. I've got a great show for you coming up next week. I'll drop you a little breadcrumb. It's about what to do with your website that will bring you in more organic traffic. Organic meaning free. More eyeballs on your website means more people seeing your products, which means new sales. Don't miss it. As always, thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, a rating and review would mean so much and helps the show get seen by more makers. So it's a great way to pay it forward to our community. Also, make sure to follow the podcast so episodes automatically download to your phone. That way you don't miss a thing including my new Thursday tips and talk shows. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. Got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze. Today, 